Book Three, Chapter Four of the New Republic by William Hurl Mallock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by phone. Lawrence had just got to the end of the first sentence, and Mr. Luke, at the same time, was just reminding Mr. Stockton with some unction how impossible it was for us to value properly that curious mixture of trumpery and elevation, the apocalypse of John, unless we compared it with a very kindred work, the pastor of Hermas, when a servant startled Lawrence by announcing in his ear the arrival of the vicar of the parish. Everyone in dismay looked and there standing a pace away in the background the stranger was he was an old man very tall and spare with an ascetic aspect but with a carriage dignified though slightly stooping and with severe piercing eyes the sudden embarrassment however which his apparition seemed to cause the party was relieved somewhat by lawrence's taking him aside as if for some private conversation and also by another arrival of a far more genial nature that of servants with tea piles of strawberries iced coffee and champagne cup mr rose at once bought himself golden opinions of lady grace by helping her page a pretty boy with light curling hair to arrange some tumblers on the grass mr stockton felt his spirits suddenly rise and began asking lady violet what she thought of their new republic as far as they had got with it i don't know she answered petulantly as far as i can see you want every one to read a great many books and to have only one opinion for my part i hate people who do the one and a society that does the other what a charming girl lady violet is said mr stockton to lady grace as he stood by the tea-table such penetration such vivacity such originality what beautiful sermons he does preach to be sure murmured lady ambrose who who inquired several voices why dr Seydon said lady ambrose don't you know him have you never heard him in london the gentleman with mr lawrence see he's coming back again to have some tea it was indeed but too true mr luke's face in especial grew very blank mr saunders clenched his fist a small one dr Seydon's face on the contrary wore what for it was a really gracious smile he was mindful of how upon his arrival he had overheard the words apocalypse and mystery of christianity as lawrence introduced him into the circle lady ambrose at once claimed acquaintance with him and made room for him at her side i am sorry he said looking round him with a singularly dignified almost condescending courteousness to disturb in this way your sunday's reading but i can stay but a few moments i shall not interrupt you long we have been talking a good deal said lawrence about the signs of the times 
and said lady ambrose eagerly feeling herself near a friend about all this wicked infidelity and irreligion that is so much about in the world now ah yes said dr seden slowly and with a sudden frown it is true unhappily that there is or has been much of that in our century but what remains is confined i imagine and that is sad enough god knows to the half-educated artisans in our large towns whom the church in former years alas relaxed her hold on for i fear i cannot deny that we in this matter are not wholly guiltless the church we may depend upon it has much to answer for perfectly true my dear sir perfectly true exclaimed mr luke who could never resist assenting to this sentiment dr seden darted a quick glance at mr luke as if he were anything but pleased at finding himself so readily agreed with but he went on matters are fast assuming a more satisfactory appearance and the great advance made in true education and the liberal spirit that this brings with it cannot fail to lead to that great change in our position that we so much desiderate quite so said mr luke the true reading of ecclesiastical history ah exclaimed dr seden holding up his forefinger exactly so you have hit upon the right thing there good gracious thought mr luke astounded at this patronizing compliment i should think i had could we but get both the parties dr seden went on addressing mr luke across lady ambrose to understand fairly the history of the important era the matter would i think be as good as settled you see he said turning to lady ambrose if the easterns will merely face steadily the pregnant fact that michael cerularius in his first letter to leo the ninth in one thousand fifty three took absolutely no exception to any one point in western doctrine but simply to certain secondary points of discipline they will see that the gulf that separates us is very slight when viewed by the clearer light of modern thought i think he added that i saw lady ambrose's name amongst the subscribers to the eastern church union association oh yes said lady ambrose certainly i do so wish that some union could be brought about for the greek church you know certainly have the apostolical succession and then if we were only joined with them the roman catholics could never deny our orders not she added with a most cordial smile to dr seden that i don't myself believe implicitly in them as it is a rapid frown gathered itself on dr seden's brow the denial of them he said severely hurts the romanists far more than it does us as to the greeks what i was going to say was this 
let them just cast their eyes back so far as the tenth century and they will see and pray mark this all of you he said holding up his forefinger and shaking it several times for this is very important i say the greeks will see unless they are determined to close their eyes that at the time of the great rupture with the west they did actually acknowledge the entire soundness of our confession of faith the main point they objected to and which they thought fit ground then for separation being that the western church did not sing alleluia in lent and that it used in the lord's supper unleavened bread which nicetas pectoratus contended in an elaborate treatise was dead bread and could not therefore be either supersubstantial or consubstantial to us it has been the fault of the easterns in fact to be ever over subtle and to fall into those excesses of human wisdom which are foolishness with god isaac the armenian for instance wrote a book to prove his countrymen in heresy for twenty-nine different reasons of which the two most important are these that they did not blow on baptized persons and that they made their consecrated oils of rapeseed and not of olives but two causes seem to me to be now working together under god to put the easterns into a more becoming spirit and to make them more heartily willing to join us these are i have mentioned them in the third volume of my history of the filioque clause first that the genuine greek blood is becoming daily more adulterated and the greek intellect losing therefore its old subtlety and secondly that the political disturbance that now seems imminent in the east will distract them from abusing such subtlety as they still possess we shall therefore meet on the broad ground of our fundamental agreements and once let the moral influence of the two churches the greek and english be mutually augmented by an open union in another five years i imagine we shall have heard the last of infidelity in england at least or indeed of romanism either now that's the sort of man said lady ambrose as soon as dr seden had departed that i should like to have for my clergyman in our new republic seden exclaimed mr luke so that is he is it i thought i remembered that face of his of course i remember now seeing that his college had given this living to him it was he said lawrence to miss merton who some years ago prevented dr jenkinson being made a bishop which he said though it might be a compliment to learning would be a grievous insult to god and so lady ambrose said mr stockton you would like dr seden for a clergyman well in our ideal society you would be able to have any clergyman you chose any religion you chose any which most satisfied your own conscience oh very well said lady ambrose if it would not interfere with one's religion in any way i think all this culture and enlightenment most delightful it will bind us to nothing said mr stockton 
except to a recognition of nobleness of morality of poetry what mr lawrence has offered to read to us is an account of how all of these are bound up in religion in my sense of the word come mr lawrence said lady ambrose please go on it is wonderful she added in a solemn whisper how even bad men like old mr lawrence know at heart how it is really best to be good and to believe in true religion as i grow old my dear otho lawrence again began to read i am coming to think over many things that i have hitherto thought too little about and amongst others the great mystery of christianity i am coming to see that from a too superficial way of looking at it i have done this religion a gross injustice and have blindly failed to recognize how much of all that we hold most precious in life is dependent on its severe and unbending systems of theology and morals it will perhaps strike you that it is rather late in the day for me to pay my tribute to these now that the world at large is theoretically denying the former of them and is practically forgetting the latter but it is this very fact that induces me to speak out the growing license and the growing scepticism of modern society i wish to raise my voice against the present state of things and to warn the world that if it goes on much longer as it is going on now it will soon have irremediably ruined all the finer and more piquant flavours of life and that soon there will be actually nothing left to give rational zest to this poor pitiful existence of ours you know what an admirer i have always been in many ways of the ancients and how in many ways i think modern civilization barbarous as compared with theirs i have not changed this opinion i have only come lately to understand what it means the charm of ancient life lies mainly in its form in essence the life open to us is as i fully see now infinitely superior and to what is this superiority due simply to christianity it came with christianity and it will also go with it i am not mad otho listen to me a little longer my boy and you will see my meaning to begin then just consider the one matter of humour compare the ancient humorists with the modern think for a moment of lucian of aristophanes of plautus of petronius of horus then think of erasmus swift cervantes voltaire sterne does not the mere memory of the two sets of names bring home to you what a gulf in this matter there is between the ancient world and the modern is not the modern humour an altogether different thing from the ancient broader and deeper beyond comparison or measurement the humour of the ancients could raise a laugh true that is just what it could raise and a laugh could express all the feelings raised by it think of the intolerable vulgarity of homer's gods who laughed consumedly at vulcan as he waited on them why 
because he was lame the sense of humour on olympus was about equal to what it would be now in a country lawyer's parlour think of horace who saw in a dull pun on two proper names a joke so excellent that he wrote a whole satire in honour of it it is true that juvenal showed a somewhat finer sense when he said that when fortune was pleased to be facetious she made a nouveau riche petronius perhaps was even in advance of juvenal but ancient humour at its best was a shallow thing it meant little it was like the bright sparkle on a brawling stream hardly ankle-deep but our modern humour is like the silent snake-like lights in a still water that go coiling down into depths unfathomable as it lures our thoughts onwards to the contemplation of endless issues the twinkle in the eyes of a stern or a cervantes seems to hint to us of eleusinian mysteries with the triumphant solemn treachery and wakes our souls as we catch it into a sudden thrill of delicious furtive insight such humour as this may excite laughter but no laughter can ease our feelings fully they also demand tears and even tears are not enough for us of such humour as this the ancients had hardly a notion it differs from theirs as the man differs from the baby and seems almost like a new sense peculiar to the modern world now to what is this development of humour due this new and exquisite source of pleasure simply as you must see if you look into the matter to that much maligned thing christianity and that marvellous system of moral laws and restraints which although accredited through imposture elaborated by barbarism and received by credulity has entirely changed the whole complexion of life think how it has done this it has slowly permeated and penetrated all man's inner existence it has given him new unearthly aims it has given him new unearthly standards by which to measure every action it has cunningly associated everything with the most awful or the most glittering conceptions with which the imagination can scare or intoxicate itself with hell heaven judgment and so forth and thus there is scarcely a single choice or refusal that has been left indifferent and not more or less nearly connected with the most stupendous issues the infinitely beautiful the infinitely terrible the infinitely hateful meet us everywhere everything is enchanted and seems to be what it is not the enchantment quite deludes the vulgar it a little deludes the wise but the wise are for ever in various ways secretly undoing the spell and getting glimpses of things as they really are what a delight these glimpses are to those that get them here lies the sense of humour in the detection of truth through revered and reigning falsehood think of the colloquias of erasmus and his laus stotice there is an instance for you think of don quixote there is another 
all its humour is due to christian dreams of honour duty and chivalry who again would have cared for swift's showing us that man was hateful if christ had not bewitched us into thinking that man was lovable gulliver owes its point to the gospels sterne sees everything big with infinite jest but why because christianity has made everything big also with infinite solemnity a possible moral meaning is secreted over the whole surface of life like the scented oil in the cells on the surface of an orange skin the humorist catches the perfume of these volatile oils as they are crushed out and wasted by our every action think too by the way of the kindred subject of wit i was reading a play of congreve's yesterday and this made me reflect how nearly all the brightest wit of the modern world consists in showing us this one thing that fidelity in marriage is ridiculous that is in showing us what but for christianity no one would ever have doubted such wit is as it were the forbidden kiss we give to common sense from which an angry religion has been bent on separating us think too of that flower of christian civilization the innuendo that is simply the adroit saying under difficulties of what but for christianity every one would have taken for granted here then you see are the wit the innuendo the humour of the world all owing their existence or at any rate their flavour to christianity and what would life what would conversation be without these but it is not these only that we owe to the same source all our finer pleasures are indebted for their chief taste to it likewise love in itself for instance is as every one knows who has felt it the coarsest and most foolish of all our feelings leave it free to do what it pleases and we soon cease to care what it does but christianity with a miraculous ingenuity has confined and cramped it into a grotesque and painful posture and set such vigilant guardians to keep it there that any return to its natural freedom is a rapture an adventure and a triumph which none but the wisest and most skilful can compass with grace or safety and which wise men therefore think worth compassing it is indeed the same with all the natural and true pleasures of life poor tasteless things not worth living for in themselves but they have been so hidden away from us and have come to be in such bad odour with the world that only the wisest for wisdom is but the detection of falsehood see that they may be taken and have the courage to take them and the wisdom they are conscious of in doing this forms a delicious sauce piquant of which humour wit and so on are some of the flavours to these same poor pleasures that can give us a real zest for them such a life of wisdom is of course only for the few the wise must always be few as the rich must the poor must make fine food for the rich to eat the fools must make fine jollies for the wise to detect 
we cannot all be happy in a rational way it is at least best that some of us should be but what i want to point out to you my boy is that if society goes on as it is going on now nobody will be able soon to be rationally happy at all it is true that i do not now live much in the world but i have sufficient means of seeing the course it is taking i like hamlet have heard of its paintings how it jigs and ambles and lisps and nicknames god's creatures i know how fast all christian moral sentiment is silently dying out of it indeed so rapid do i imagine to be the way in which it is losing all proper feeling that i should not be surprised were society in another five years if i am not dead by that time to receive me back again now as long as christianity was firmly fixed as a faith we might amuse ourselves by offending against its morals as much as we liked for our acts were in no danger of losing their forbidden character there would always be a persecution under which pleasure might thrive but now since faith is dead we have only the moral sentiments left to us and if we once got rid of these by a too reckless violation of them the whole work of christianity which i have been trying to explain to you will be undone wit and humour love and poetry will all alike have left us life will have lost its seasonings and its sauces and served up to us au naturel it will only nauseate us man indeed will then be only separated from the animals by his capacity for ennui i had once hoped that the middle classes that vast and useless body who have neither the skill that produces their wealth nor the taste that can enjoy it might have proved themselves at least of some use by preserving the traditions of a sound respectable morality that they might have kept alive the nation's power of being shocked and scandalized at wit or grace or freedom but no they too are changed with awkward halting gait they are waddling in the footsteps of their betters and they will soon have made vice as vulgar as they long ago made virtue to me of course all this matters little such flavours as life has have lasted me thus far nor will the world's growing blankness affect me i shall never look into a woman's eyes again one of my own is blind now and the other is so dim that i doubt if the best-paid beauty could contrive to look into it with more than an ironical tenderness all this matters nothing to me but you my boy what will be left for you when i am taken away from the evil that is to come your prospect does not seem to me a cheerful one but alas i can offer no remedy i can only beguile my time by warning you at any rate it is always good to think a little about the roots of things so i trust you will be in some way profited by these patrue ferbra lingue when lawrence closed the book there was a silence of some moments as if no one knew exactly how to take what had just been read but at last donald gordon exclaimed in his devoutest of soft whispers 
is soul also among the prophets the words acted like a spell the ice was broken and mr herbert who hitherto had hardly uttered a syllable the whole afternoon now broke out suddenly in his most emphatic accents thank you my dear lawrence he exclaimed thank you much indeed there is something in what you have just read us that seems to me quite precious and peculiar nor do i find any such honesty in any creed sung by priests in churches as i do in this sardonic confession of that great truth which the present age as a whole is resolutely bent upon forgetting that the grand knowledge for a man to know is the essential and eternal difference between right and wrong between base and noble that there is a right and a noble to be striven for not for the sake of its consequences but in spite of them and that it is in this fact alone which under countless forms is the one thing affirmed in all human art and implied in all serviceable learning your cervantes smiles it to you your swift curses it to you your bernard of morlaix hymns it to you your saddened shakespeare tells it to you in every way strange indeed it is and mournful that we see a time when the one truth that we live and die by not only needs to be pointed out to us but asserted passionately in the teeth of those whom we have elected as our wisest teachers mr saunders at once took this to be a special allusion to himself and his face involuntarily began to array itself in a smile of triumph however mr herbert went on benignantly you have truly gone the right way to work in constructing an ideal society if you make it recognize this before all things and see how witness is borne to it by every pleasure and every interest of life ah yes exclaimed mr stockton it is just this noble discrimination between right and wrong mr herbert that modern enlightenment will so pre-eminently encourage and foster morality is quite indispensable to any dream of the future and as to religion the motto of the future is freedom holy awful individual freedom we shall each be free to choose or evolve the religion most profoundly suited to us well said lady ambrose as long as i may keep my own religion i shall be quite satisfied and about other people i don't think i am bigoted not as long you know as they belong to some church but religion is the thing i want of course we must have morality mustn't we she added with a half-puzzled expression turning to lady grace must sighed mrs sinclair it's very easy to say must of course we must said lady grace cheerfully my dear she went on with a little kindly laugh towards mr saunders he doesn't really doubt it mr saunders sprang to his feet as if an adder had stung him what he exclaimed standing in the centre of the group and looking round him 
and do i not really doubt that the degrading practice of prayer the fetish worship of celibacy of mortification and so forth do i not doubt that the foul faith in a future life the grotesque conceptions of the theological virtues and that preposterous idol of the market-place the sanctity of marriage do you think i do not really doubt that we must retain these do you think on the contrary i do not know that they are already doomed however here mr saunders paused suddenly and again sat down on the grass there is no need for me at this moment to destroy any cherished illusions though i shall be happy to show my analysis of them that i spoke about just now to any one who is not afraid to inspect it i hear much said about tolerance as a characteristic of your society all i ask is that you have the courage to extend your tolerance to me your new republic may be full of illusions then the great labour of destroying them will be positively delicious to me well said mr stockton with a mixture of deference and patronage and what does miss merton think oh said miss merton with a slow smile i am all in favour of toleration i think that what i consider truth is quite good enough to stand on its own merits if unprejudiced eyes can only be got to see them and i honestly do think that with really high breeding and with what we apparently mean by culture we should have at least one part of the world as good as we could wish it but yet she added hesitating a little we have surely settled only half the question yet we have said a good deal about this wide and discerning taste that is to guide us we have not said much yet about the particular things the occupations the duties the pleasures that it will lead us to choose no began mr rose i should like myself very much to say something as to that as to the new pleasures that modern culture has made possible for us suppose said lady ambrose with one of her most beaming smiles as she pushed her hat away over the back of her head suppose we talk of this by and by at dinner or in the evening let us just enjoy a little now the air now is so truly delicious it seems quite like a sin doesn't it to think of going into dinner by and by a happy thought struck lady grace suppose we have dinner out of doors otho she said in the pavilion with the roses round it that you used to call the summer dining-room this proposal was received with what was little short of rapture that really would be too delightful exclaimed lady ambrose and what place could sound more perfect for us to finish our new republic in it was arranged accordingly and now exclaimed lady ambrose to lawrence confidentially as the conversation ceased to be general i want you to let me have a look at that book of your uncle's i have often heard it spoken about lord hartpool had a copy which he showed my poor father in paris come mr lawrence you need not hold it back i'm sure there's nothing in it that would do me any harm well no said lawrence in this volume i don't think there is 
because what you read just now said lady ambrose was all really in favour of goodness though it is true i didn't quite like the tone of some of it what interposed mr rose is there another volume i should much like to see that i declare mr lawrence said lady ambrose who had now got the book in her hand here's something really quite pretty at least i've only got as far as the first verse yet it's a little poem called to the wife of an old schoolfellow read it out to us do said lawrence with a soft smile it will illustrate very well the letter we had just now do you know i really think i might manage this she said although i'm not in the least by way of being a reader out listen then and please don't laugh at me let others seek for wisdom's way in modern science modern wit i turn to love for all that these these two can teach is taught by it yes all in that first hour we met and smiled and spoke so soft and long love did wisdom dawn and i began to disbelieve in right and wrong love then as love's gospel clearer grew and i each day your doorstep trod love i learned that love was all in all and rose to disbelieve in god love yes wisdom's book you taught me this and ere i half had read you through love i learned a deeper wisdom yet i learned to disbelieve in you love so now fair teacher i am wise and free tis truth that makes us free love but you you're pale grow wise as i and learn to disbelieve in me love as lady ambrose had read on her voice had grown more and more disapproving and several times she had shown symptoms of being on the point of stopping i've no doubt it's all very witty she said putting down the book which was eagerly caught up by mr rose but but that sort of thing you know she exclaimed at last i think it's rather better in the smoking-room however i saw something next to those verses that i think would suit miss merton it seemed to be a sort of address to the virgin mary miss merton looked a little embarrassed lawrence looked astonished let me read it exclaimed mr rose rapidly turning over the pages this must be what lady ambrose means i think my own my one desire virgin most fair yes said lady ambrose that's it oh said lawrence that is not my uncle's it is mine it is the earliest copy of verses i ever wrote i was seventeen then and by an odd freak my uncle printed them in the end of his own collection miss merton's embarrassment in a great measure disappeared she looked interested and mr rose in slow suave tones went on to read mine own my one desire virgin most fair of all the virgin choir hail o most pure most perfect loveliest one lo in my hand i bear woven for the circling of thy long gold hair cold leaves and flowers from places which the sun the spring long shines upon 
where never shepherd hath driven flock to graze nor any grass is mown but there sound through all the sunny sweet warm days mid the green holy place the wild bee's wings alone yea and with jealous care the maiden reverence tends the fair things there and watereth all of them with sprinkling showers of pearled grey dew from a clear running river whoso is chaste of spirit utterly may gather there the leaves and fruits and flowers the unchaste never but thou o goddess and dearest love of mine i don't at all approve of this murmured lady ambrose take and about thine hair this anadem entwine take and for my sake wear who am more to thee than any mortals are whose is the holy lot as friend with friend to walk and talk with thee hearing thy sweet mouth's music in mine ear but thee beholding not ah they are sweet verses said mr rose a little too ascetic perhaps to be quite greek they are from euripides i see the address to artemis of hippolytus yes said lawrence i don't think i ever wrote any original poetry it's exactly like mr lawrence that bit whispered mrs sinclair and now said mr rose as i suppose we shall ere long be all going to dress for dinner i will go mr lawrence if you will let me and examine that other volume you spoke of of your uncle's miscellanies mr rose moved slowly away and as he did so there came the sound of the distant dressing-bell which warned the whole party that it was time to be following his example end of book three chapter four